Hello, it's Thursday, the 15th of February, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Bun j a n g w o South Korea has established official diplomatic relations with Cuba for the first time, the result of Seoul's decades long negotiations with a nation considered one of North Korea's close allies. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Coming up for Weekly Take, we discuss the new political party that has emerged out of unexpected alliances and what impact it could have on the general elections in April. And on Explore Korea, our art explorer helps us discover the enthralling minimalist paintings of artist Chan Wong-gun. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. In a surprise announcement on Wednesday night, it was revealed that South Korea had established official diplomatic ties with Cuba. This comes after decades of diplomatic negotiations, many of which were reportedly done in secrecy, as the Caribbean nation is one of North Korea's closest allies. For more on this story and other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, j a n g o Let's start things off with this historic diplomatic breakthrough with Havana. Can you give us the details? Well, the announcement, as you said, came Wednesday night. South Korea's mission to the UN said formal bilateral diplomatic relations were established through an exchange of diplomatic notes between the two countries' representative to the UN in New York. Ambassador-level diplomatic ties, meaning we're skipping setting up consular-level relations. Follow-up measures include opening of diplomatic missions in both nations. The two nations reportedly held negotiations in absolute secrecy to eliminate any possible protest and obstruction from North Korea, a traditional ally of Cuba. The South government pursued diplomatic ties with Cuba since the year 2000, the 2000s. That is. In 2016, Yoon Byung-se became the first foreign minister to make an official visit to Cuba and express wish to set up diplomatic ties, but no progress was made back then. Recent cultural exchanges encourage friendly relations and contribute to the establishment of diplomatic ties. Doors are now wide open for economic cooperation and consulate assistance for South Koreans visiting Cuba. Cuba is the 193rd country South Korea has built diplomatic relations, and Syria is the only UN member with no such ties with South Korea. Still, despite this diplomatic breakthrough, I understand that Korean authorities have advised caution for those planning to visit the Central American country for tourism. That's right. According to diplomatic officials, travelers who have visited Cuba after January 2021 could be banned from visa-free entry to the United States through the Electronic System for Travel Authorization, or ESTA. Since January 2021, the U.S. has included Cuba in its state sponsors of terrorism list. However, the U.S. government did say that it respects South Korea's decision to establish diplomatic ties with Cuba. It did. On Wednesday, a U.S. State Department spokesperson told KBS that South Korea has the sovereignty to determine the nature of its diplomatic relations and that the U.S. respects it, adding Seoul and Washington's alliance remains ironclad. But there were no words of congratulations over Seoul's establishment of diplomatic ties with Havana. Let's turn next to Cuba's long-term ally. North Korea's state media said that the country testified a new surface-to-sea missile on Wednesday under the guidance of leader Kim Jong-un. Can you tell us more? The KCNA reported on Thursday that Kim oversaw the inspection test of the new missile named Padasuri-6. The number of missiles fired weren't mentioned. The missile hit a target after flying over waters in the East Sea for around 1,400 seconds. 
and Kim was satisfied with the test results. The leader reportedly said the North should defend its maritime sovereignty, ordered efforts to strengthen military readiness around the waters north of the islands of Yeonpyeong and Pengyong, and Kim claims South Korea is violating the North's sovereignty by insisting on a northern limit line, the de facto maritime border between the two Koreas. Meanwhile, the South Korean military highlighted its resolve to continue defending the NNL, saying that it will continue to serve as the military's sea border. On Thursday, JCS spokesperson Lee Sung-jun was asked about North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's dispute of the use of the NLL and declaration of plans to drop a border. He said NLL will be the military's sea border and added the military, which is maintaining a readiness posture, will sternly respond to any type of provocation. As for the newly unveiled Padasuri 6, the spokesperson said Seoul and Washington are conducting a comprehensive analysis while continuing to track Pyongyang's weapons development. Let's turn next to sports headlines. Football officials recommended that the Korea Football Association dismiss the head coach Jurgen Klinsmann. That's after a disappointing AFC Asian Cup campaign, of course. Can you give us the latest? That's right. The KFA Technology Division Director Hwang Boguan took part in the National Team Committee meeting on Thursday and told reporters the officials came to the decision during a post-mortem evaluation of the team's disappointing semifinal exit at the AFC Asian Cup. Klinsman also attended the meeting via video conference from his home in the U.S. The KFA administration will review the committee's recommendation before making a final decision. KFA President Chong Mong-gyu will have the final say on the matter. The KFS national team committee was established to advise on the operation of the national team, but it has no authority on dismissing players or coaches. Meanwhile, uh, PSG star Lee Gang-in and South Korea's national football team refuted early reports that he had thrown a punch at national team captain Son Heung-min last week during the uh, AFC Asian Cup. Speculations and reports and rumors are running rampant after this uh, event became a very hot topic for South Korean football fans. In a statement on Thursday, East representatives said there are false and exaggerated information from media reports about how he took a swing at Son and after Son grabbed E by the scruff of his neck, saying they are not true. The representative said senior members of the team had also played table tennis with E and that the team members have always played the sport together. Earlier, E uploaded an apology via social media to the nation's football fans for causing disappointment. The 22-year-old said he should have listened to the senior members of the team. On Wednesday, media outlets reported on an argument between the two star players the day before their Asian Cup semifinal match, which led to Son's finger injury. Son reportedly went to head coach Jurgen Klinsmann to request that he be excluded from the semifinal roster, according to earlier reports on Wednesday. In other news now, uh, the country's medical students, it seems, are moving to take group action against the government's planned expansion of the quota for medical school admissions. Can you give us the latest on this story? The latest is this. The Korea's medical students have decided to take collective action in protest of the government's plan to expand the medical school admissions quota. The the Korean Medical Students Association, or KMSA, announced on Thursday that student representatives from 40 medical schools unanimously agreed on the course of action during an extraordinary preliminary session, rather during a meeting the previous day, calling on the government to completely withdraw the planned quota expansion. The association said it will conduct a survey of all 20,000 medical students in the country on a proposed plan to take a year of absence en masse. Fourth-year students at the College of Medicine at Hanlim University first set a tone by deciding to take a one-year leave of absence in protest of the government's plan. 
Park Dan, head of the Korean Intern Resident Association, declared his intent to submit his official resignation to Severance Hospital next Tuesday. And the Korean Medical Association, representing the nation's doctors, are staging rallies in 12 cities and provinces throughout Thursday. And finally, South Korea's economic growth rate for the last year lagged behind Japan for the first time in 25 years. Can you tell us more? South Korea's GDP growth rate for 2023, announced by the BOK last month, is 1.4%, 0.5 percentage points lower than that of Japan. Uh, due to long-term low growth and the weakening yen, the Japanese economy fell behind Germany's and dropped to fourth in the world for the first time in 55 years. The Japanese cabinet office announced Thursday its real GDP growth rate last year was 1.9%. Korea is expected to pass Japan this year as the world economic outlook showed the IMF forecast Korea's real GDP uh, growth to be at 2.3%, Japan's at 0.9%. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index slid 6.62 points, or 0.25% on Thursday, to close at 2,613.80. The tech-heavy Kosdaq gained 5.91 points, or 0.69%, to close at 859.21. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 1.41 against the US dollar, Closing the day at 1,334.1. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Global News Roundup, where we look beyond Korea to talk about issues making headlines around the world. Joining us in the studio for that is our KBS World Radio News Editor, Ku Hee-jin. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Chang. So for our first story, we head to the U.S. to bring you details of a shooting spree in downtown Kansas. The incident took place during celebrations for a Super Bowl win by the Kansas City Chiefs. So far, at least 21 people have been reported wounded, including at least eight children and a mother of two dead. Hijin, what can you tell us? Well, Wednesday's shooting took place outside the historic Union Railway Station. Despite the presence of more than 800 police officers who were in the building and nearby, as well as atop major structures in the area, officials said they treated eight victims who were in immediate uh, life-threatening condition and seven others who had suffered injuries that could prove life-threatening. Nine children were among the wounded. All, thankfully, are expected to recover. Footage on social media showed shocking scenes of uh, crowds screaming and scrambling for cover. Another video showed two people chase and tackle a person, holding them down until two police officers arrived. Shots rang out from west of the Union Station, where thousands of fans had gathered to watch the end of the victory parade at around 2pm local time. Have the police made any arrests and We should note this is not the first sports celebration in the U.S. to be marred by gun violence. 
Well, uh, police said they had arrested three suspects and firearms were recovered in connection to the shooting. Police Chief Stacey Graves told reporters that police were still piecing together what had happened and did not release details about uh, those who were detained or or their possible motive. City officials did not share any information about the suspects and a law enforcement source told CBS that the shooting appeared to be the result of an argument that turned violent. The source said it was not terrorism related. And you're right, this isn't the first shooting spree of a US sporting event. Uh, Several uh, people were wounded last year in Denver after the Nuggets NBA championship. And another spree took place last year at a parking lot near uh, Texas Rangers World Series uh, championship parade. U.S. President Joe Biden has released a statement urging action on gun control, but we will continue to watch the reaction and fallout to this terrible incident in the days to come. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we next head to Indonesia, where a former army general with a controversial past has claimed victory in the Southeast Asian nation's presidential election held on Wednesday. So what can you tell us? Well, these are so far unofficial results and they show Prabowo Subianto, 72 years of age, winning nearly 60% of the vote, enough to avoid a presidential runoff with around 85% of the votes counted. Now, this is according to state-owned news organisations Antara, uh, CNN affiliate uh, CNN Indonesia and Reuters, which are reporting early counts done by Syria of uh, non-government think tanks. Prabowo, uh, 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 billed as the front-runner and ahead of Wednesday's contest, told uh, supporters in Jakarta he and running mate Gibran Rakabuming Raka, who is the eldest son of the current president, Joko Widodo, uh, would govern for all the people of Indonesia. Uh, popular former governor uh, Ani Anis Bazdewedan, sorry, was running second with fewer than 22% of the votes, with rival uh, Ganjar Prawono, uh, Pranowo in third, according to the unofficial early count. Both their teams have disputed the early results and said it is too early to call the election. Now, vote counting is not an easy matter. Indonesia is the world's fourth largest populous country and home to the world's largest Muslim population and uh, the world's largest archipelagic uh, nation and it is wider than the US and straddles three time zones and is made up of over 18,000 islands and islets of which 6,000 are inhabited. Well, the apparent winner of the race is quite controversial as well, with a dubious human rights track record, right? Indeed. Uh, Prabowo hails hails from an elite political family, and his past is controversial, especially uh, his time during the years of the late dictator Suharto, uh, who was also his former father-in-law. Accusations of human rights violations in his military past have dogged him throughout his political career. He enrolled in uh, Indonesia's military academy in 1970 and went on to become a special forces commander where he led missions against pro-independence groups during Indonesia's ruthless 24-year military occupation of East Timor. He is also alleged to have ordered the kidnapping of pro-democracy activists in the final months of Suharto's regime. He has since transformed himself into a supporter of Indonesia's vibrant democracy, building an image more recently as a friendly but dependable grandfather figure and has been a major player in within politics over the last decade.
Let's swiftly continue on to our final story now. Fine dust is not just a problem here in South Korea. Bangkok City employees have been told to work from home to avoid harmful air pollution as a layer of noxious haze blanketed the Thai capital on Thursday. Can you tell us more? Well, Bangkok City authorities asked for the cooperation from employers to help walk- workers in the city of some 11 million people avoid the pollution, which is expected to last into Friday. The air monitoring website, IQ Air, ranked Bangkok among the 10 most polluted cities in the world on Thursday morning. Levels of the most dangerous ultrafine dust, so tiny they can enter the bloodstream, were more than 15 times the World Health Organization organization's annual guideline, according to IQ Air. Bangkok Governor Chachat Sindiput said late Wednesday that all city employees would work from home on Thursday and Friday. Chachat said at least 20 of Bangkok's 50 districts were expected to have unhealthy levels of ultrafine dust particles and the problem would linger because of calm weather. Air quality in Thailand regularly uh, plummets in the early months of the year as smoke from farmers burning stubble in the fields adds to the industrial emissions and vehicle exhaust fumes. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our Global News Roundup. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Susan. Thank you. I'm Leanne Kim of the hip-hop group Ajima EXP. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. Just as the Lunar New Year holiday was starting last Friday, four minor political parties and factions announced that they were putting aside their differences to merge into one new party for the upcoming general elections. Named the New Reform Party, it will be jointly led by former People Power Party leader Lee Jun-suk and former Democratic Party leader Lee Nagyun. This unlikely alliance aims to offer an alternative choice to four voters disillusioned by the two main parties. The question is, will they be able to effectively challenge the existing duopoly? To discuss the potential impact of this new party uh, for our weekly take today, we have joining us online first, affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello. Hello. And we also have on the line Law Professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hong University. Professor Cho, hello to you too. Hello. So, Professor Kim, can you first help put this merger into some context for our listeners? The two main figureheads are the two E's, Lee Jun-suk and Lee Nagyun. How did they come to leave their respective parties and how has this merger come about? Mm, uh, talking about both sides would be a tall order and let me try to manage my time here, but... Uh, looking at this picture, I think the, one of the good ways to, uh, you know, give it a cut would be supply and demand side analysis. Demand side, looking at what's happening at PPP, President Yoon's party, and what's happening in the DP Democratic Party, uh, led by Lee Zemyung. Uh, those two parties, as we see the April election approaching, uh, 
uh, increasing number of people, Korean voters seem to believe that those two parties are uh, getting further and further personalized, meaning that uh, PPP side, uh, President Yoon is consolidating his control over it. Uh, and uh, while people need wider choice, uh, he and his associates and uh, his uh, protege, uh, the current party leader, seem to be driving the party to one direction, uh, which a uh, large number of voters do not like. So they're looking for a different choice uh, on the uh, relatively conservative side. And then Democratic Party side as well, the progressive side as well. Um, a lot of Korean people uh, see uh, legal, what they call legal risk, uh, you know, the trials ongoing about uh, alleged wrongdoings uh, undertaken by uh, current party leader Lee Zemyo. And uh, they see, uh, you know, the, the party being led under his personal leadership. And that does not, that kind of precludes increasing number of voters. So demand side, there is a demand for a new party or a new political force as the centrist voters see Korean politics getting further, further uh, polarized by Yoon and Lee. And there's a big gap in the center that's growing, looks like. So there's a definite, definite strong demand for this kind of party creation. On the supply side, uh, let's see, how do I best put this in a brief manner? Oh, well, Lee Jun-seok uh, coming from PPP side, Yoon's party, and then Lee na coming from DP, uh, Lee Jae-myung's party. Uh, they have been set aside by their current leadership. And uh, Lee Jun-seok's case, he was the party leader when President Yoon was elected, and he feels that he has contributed big time in terms of uh, leading the support from the young voters, uh, a lot of people believe it's male voters, but young male voters are, uh, uh, have supported him, and he believes he's, he has his own power base, and he believed that PPP has uh, moved uh, away from uh, the, his political playground, basically. So he felt left out, and so uh, he has defected from PPP. And the uh, DP side, Inagyan also, he sides with the more traditional Democratic Party uh, groups, such as uh, political, uh, geographical affiliation with Jalla province. And he himself was a former governor of uh, Jalla province. And, uh, and he, have, he has felt that this traditional power base uh, for DP has been sidelined by uh, Lee Zemyung and his enthusiastic supporters. And uh, uh, so he felt sidelined. And so uh, these two Lees who felt set aside by their own parties, uh, uh, looking for opportunity, and they decide to merge together. Of course, many observers believe this is a merger that's uh, uh, quite uh, unlikely at the beginning because the two groups seem to be quite apart in terms of political preference and everything. But I guess what people are looking at is the demand side. There are voters who are looking for different choice other than Yoon and Lee. And on that note, mm. I guess observers see some possibilities for uh, this third party scoring uh, big wins. Last time we have seen that was back in 2016 when An Chasu led uh, People's Party and won 38 seats. And this time 
the hopeful thinking, wishful thinking by this new party insiders, there are somewhere between 30 to 50 seats. And we'll see how it goes. Well, thank you for that explanation. Professor Chul, do you have anything to add to further trying to explain this merger? Because the two leaders, the two figureheads, they couldn't really be more different. Uh, Lee Jun-suk is the young upstart uh, disruptor, 38 years old, uh, and his group uh, has described themselves as centrist conservatism, while Lee Nagyon, he is the more seasoned, established old guard, uh, 71 years old, and he belongs to... Uh, uh, the centrist liberalism, uh, but they have somehow managed to come together to form this single party. What is the political motivation or calculation, should we say, behind this merger, do you think? I think it was a simple matter of survival. And I will explain a little bit more about that uh, later. But when I, as I was listening to your description of Lee Jun-sok and Inak Yan, I was actually thinking that you could swap those handles and still uh, say, I mean, the, the descriptions would still bring true. So you could actually say that Lee Jun-sok is a centrist liberal, liberal and Inagyeon a centrist conservative, and people would actually nod their heads, I think. Um, and I just wanted to add a small comment regarding uh, the what led to uh, their defection from their respective parties, and also a couple of comments about the other two parties that were part of this large merger. So we have to remember that Lee jun was actually kicked out of his own party that he was leading. You know, he um, there was this sort of uh, kind of scandal that was being investigated by the prosecution and how, how he, ex- he was given some sort of, you know, uh, this, you know, rumors about sexual favors, and he, he essentially got ousted from his leadership position, and he was kicked out of his own party. So in a way, he was actually more justified in setting up his own party, whereas with regard to Inagyeon, I think a lot of people actually felt that when he defected from his party, uh, his leaving was not that just justified, because he had enjoyed every uh, leadership position bar presidency with the Democratic Party. Uh, and he, after coming back from his you know, sojourn in the States, he might have felt that he wasn't giving, being, being given his due as the party elder. And he certainly had, had his uh, ambitions for the next uh, presidential election. Uh, but I guess he didn't feel that he had sufficient support or ground uh, within the Democratic Party, so his was m- much more, you know, personally uh, per- motivated in terms of ambition. So, you might say that the justifications are slightly different. Um, and there are not just Ijun Sok's uh, new Reform Party and Inagyeon's new Future Party that merged uh, into this big tent, but also the um, what, what was it called, Principle and Common Sense by. Chung Chun and Iwanuk, also former DP lawmakers, who uh, were essentially opposing what Lee Jae-myung is doing with the Democratic Party, and also former lawmaker Kim Tae-sop and uh, Ryu Ho-jung, who's from formerly of Justice Party, and they have all agreed to merge, and this is really a calculation of. Uh, 
political expediency uh, and how many seats they would actually be able to win mm. given the current election rules that have now been settled because Lee Jae-myung finally announced that they will run the election under the existing uh, rules, which is this semi-linked proportional representation system, rather than going back to the parallel system of uh, 2016 or fully reforming the law and making it into a full-linked proportional representation system. So under the existing rule, if you have these four and most likely numerous other very small newly formed uh, parties, which will now include Choguk's new party, which hasn't been named yet, they will at most gather maybe 0. Point something percent of votes. Even Lee Jun-suk's own party is not really going to register big on, on the scale. Whereas if you form the big tent of this kind of third way, then there are enough disgruntled, vo- disgruntled voters in the middle uh, that are actually looking for a way to exercise their vote Otherwise, they might actually stay home or essentially end up giving, despite themselves, mm. their vote to the two big parties. And so I think this was, this was really a matter of uh, political calculation. Right. So that is the question then. How much impact this new reform party will have on the upcoming elections? Professor Kim, what do you think? For example, how many seats out of the 300 seats at the National Assembly could this new party potentially secure? And where will they take the votes away from, from the DP or the PPP? Well, in terms of uh, counting seats, of course, we are not fortune tellers here. So uh, that will be one of the toughest questions for anyone to answer. But uh, I guess the w- one important point to keep in mind will be it's not going to be about how much people are attracted to this new party as much. Rather, I would say, depending on how things pan out, but uh, you know, uh, how much people dislike Yoon and Lee, PPP President Yoon's PPP, uh, and uh, Lee Jae-myung's DP, these two major parties. Uh, at this point, at the creation of this third party, I do believe there has been enough, and perhaps more than enough, of dissatisfaction with the current two major party system. And uh, how that momentum would be maintained. For example, uh, people complaining, continuing to complain about President Yoon, and people continuing to complain about Lee Jae-myung's, uh, you know, legal risk, what they call. Uh, how, depending on how those momentums are maintained, if this trend remain in place, looks like the third party could make a big, quite a considerable difference. And perhaps when they're talking about 50 to 30 seats, uh, somewhere in between, uh, it could be possible. Uh, But somehow, President Yoon and his party PPP, and then Lee Jae-myung and his party DP could find ways to reduce people's dissatisfaction with their leadership and their Mm. political inclination. maybe this third party will not become successful. So, uh, again, what I'm saying is, the way I see it, whether we like it or not, the way I see it, a lot depends on how DP and, you know, PPP, two major parties, manage the situation going forward rather than uh, the third party doing its own stuff. 
That's how I see this. Right. And Professor Chaw, what impact do you think this party could have on the upcoming elections? Uh, Ina Gyan, he has publicly said that uh, he's aiming for, he expects around 30 seats. Uh, that seems quite ambitious. That does seem very ambitious. I would say that if they actually achieved 15 or more seats, then they would be really punching above their weight. So they currently already have uh, four existing lawmakers. And the big question will be, would they, uh, do, would those four lawmakers, Chung Chong Yiwon, Yang Yang and Kim Jong-min, be able to hold on to their district seats? And secondly, whether they would actually be able to add more district seats. So, for example, we have Kim Tae-so, who has announced that he's going to run uh, for Chongro seat. Yoon Seok, he hasn't announced where he's going to be running, but most likely either in Seoul or perhaps in Daegu. And so potentially two more district seats because they, they are both fairly well known, but they will also be against fairly stiff competition. And then I think depending on how, you know, what kind of candidates that, that they are able to run in the district seats, uh, district elections, uh, they will still have to compete against well-established uh, candidates from the two main parties. And so they would have to come up with some really strong candidates. And I'm not exactly sure if, if they will be able to mm. field those kind of um, candidates in, in that uh, system with the proportional representation because the right. uh, conservative party will have the um the the satellite party and the democratic party will be running mm. uh, this kind of coalition uh, it basically like a satellite party in all but in name i think m- at most they will be able to achieve 10 12 seats and so if they do as well as uh, the people party in 2016 they will be doing really well but I am not entirely that optimistic for them. Right. But looking beyond the election as well, do you think the New Reform Party could change uh, the bipartisan political landscape uh, fundamentally, uh, Professor Kim? For example, do you think the New Reform Party will remain as one entity even after the elections? Because there are many who speculate that... uh, the long-term future of the party, especially considering the uh, the differing political ideologies of the two co-leaders, uh, th- there are some that speculate the party will split after the elections. Uh, what do you think about the long-term future for the party? Well, long-term future for the party, for sure, will depend on the election result. And so, uh, to put it simply, if they don't win enough seats, uh, let's say three, four seats and below 10, whatever, uh, their future will be limited. But let's assume that this uh, third party wins uh, something close to what uh, People's Party under Anchosu's leadership won back in 2016, like, for example, 38 seats or even more, perhaps. Then I think there is a future for this third party because uh, as the current leadership of the third party, uh, I think it was Inagyan and and uh, I guess Ina again made that point here, and Ijun Sub together also pointing out that the, the policy side, the current Yun government is lacking a lot in many ways. Looks like their policies seem to be in confusion, and looks like a philosophy and vision is lacking. Sometimes they go very strongly populist policies 
which is not exactly a conservative line. And sometimes they go very, very conservative, uh, pro-business, pro-rich people, uh, you know, tax cuts. Uh, so going into all different directions, which means there is a, a great room for defining the centrist uh, party and its identity and policy lines. So, uh, and also same, almost similar uh, you know, argument can go to Democratic Party as well. Under Lee Zemyung's you know, leadership, the party has failed in terms of offering progressive response to the current conservative government's policy lines. So uh, if somehow they succeed in securing enough seats, there will be sufficient, perhaps, political room to maneuver for the third party to maintain its uh, uh, livelihood uh, in the long run, the way I see it. And Professor Cho, do you think the new reform party can reform the current political landscape in Korea? So there I agree with Professor Kim that it will depend on their electoral success uh, or otherwise. If they manage to win more than 10 seats, then they will be able to actually propose uh, bills of their own so they have a reason to stay together. If they win more than 20 seats, then they can actually become a negotiating party within the National Assembly. So that's another reason to stay together. But whatever future that they might have together, I think it's going to be a short-lived future because... It's really, you know, basically a salad bowl rather than a melting pot, this new big tent party, because the political agenda being brought to the table by various factions are so different. You know, you've got feminist feminist politics represented by Ryo Jeong, you've got anti-feminist politics by Lee Jun-sok, you have ageist politics by Lee Jun-sok also, whereas Lee Nagyon himself is like over 71. And all of those um, sort of main uh, players within that big tent, including Kunpesop, not to mention Agents of Eni Nagyon, all have presidential ambitions. And so I think this coalition uh, is not really going to last much longer than this, the next uh, general assembly, sorry, National Assembly term and well before the next presidential election. Well, this is a fascinating aspect of the upcoming general elections, one that we'll keep an eye out for as April 10th approaches. Uh, We'll leave it there for our weekly take today. Professor Kim, Professor Cho, thank you, as always, for your analysis. Thank you. Thank you very much. Did you know that Korea24 is active on social media? You can do more than just listen to Korea24. You can find out what the team has been up to on Korea24's social media accounts. We are on Instagram on KBS underscore Korea24, where we post about our weekly segments from Monday's sports segment to Friday's movie spotlight. Sometimes we share snippets of the team's day behind the scenes so you can get to know us better. On YouTube, we upload film versions of our segments and you can also check out what other language services have been up to. Find us on at KBS World Radio Service. Make the most of your Career 24 experience by following us on social media.
We continue on now to explore Korea, a regular segment where our panel of special contributors or explorers give their cultural and travel recommendations for us to discover each week. And the explorer with us this week is Anjo, with another artist and exhibition to check out. Joe, hello. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much. It's great to see you too, Jango. Okay, so what are we talking about this week? All right, so uh, today we're going to talk about an artist who, well, recently I had the pleasure of appreciating his latest exhibition. And after pondering the greatness of his craft, from the morphological aesthetics, which immediately meets the eye, to the semantic significance, which slowly but surely sinks into the soul, I realized that a discussion on this particular artist fits perfectly well into the nature of our show. From Dusseldorf, Germany, to Seoul, Korea, and from Seoul, Korea, to the souls of anyone who has or will have the privilege of enjoying his art, today I present Chun Won Kun. Okay, so tell us more about this artist. Okay, so he was born in 1970 here in Seoul. Uh, let's take a look at his academic background. He received his bachelor's degree from the Department of Fine Art at And Chang Wai, I must say that I'm rather surprised that I've never mentioned this school on our show before since it's the alma mater of so many talented artists. Mm-hmm. But Chang Wai Kun received his bachelor's degree from the Chuge University for the Arts. Then he received his master's degree from the Kunst Academy Dusseldorf. Now, both schools are two of the most prestigious art schools in Korea and Germany, respectively. And uh, as a healthy number of artists from all around the world who win both on and off campus acclaim during their academic pursuit in Germany do, Chun Ongun has settled down in Germany. Mm. He's been living and working in Dusseldorf for the past 25 years. Uh, His sublime minimalist paintings have astonished appreciators in a number of different countries on both sides of Eurasia, establishing himself as a globally exhibiting artist over the past quarter century. And a considerable number of institutions have added his works to their respective art collections, including Korea's Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art, the Kunstpalast Museum in Dusseldorf, and the Mark Rothko Art Center in Dagovpils, Latvia. Okay, so you said he creates minimalist paintings. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Can you tell us more about his craft? Okay, so uh, before we get to that, I first want to touch upon what I mentioned just a few seconds ago, that some of his works are in the art collection of the Mark Rothko Art Center, right? Mm, okay. Now let's talk about the late, great Mark Rothko, another fantastic, globally acclaimed, one of the greatest of all time uh, minimalist painters. Now, if you think about Mark Rothko's greatness inside the art world, we have so many things to talk about. However, I understand that this program is not specialized in art theory, so we're not going to get into that too deeply. Right. On the other hand, if we think about his fame outside the art world, that name that always pops up is, of course, Steve Jobs. Because he so much praised how much he appreciates the work of Mark Rothko. And then, you know, when it comes to the prices of the artworks of, you know, an artist of this level, you know, <laughs> the media outlets, especially which specialize in uh, the economy and business sector, right? They all talk about the dollars because this artist right here, his paintings easily for one piece go in the tens of millions of dollars, right? right? So mm. that's the kind of artist we're talking about here. However, from and not to, you know, uh, 
enthusiastic appreciator of art uh, of art's uh, uh, point of view when you see the photos of Rothko's works online you kind of scratch your head and you're thinking wait a second this painting costs like 90 90 million dollars right what's going on right for art skeptics it just looks like a canvas with just some random color splashed on it exactly did he paint it when he was five years old what's going on here Mm -hmm. right that's what you're thinking however the on offline experience is a completely different story you gaze at it and you finally understand even if you're an art expert or not Mm. it doesn't really matter right oh that's what steve jobs meant that's why all these collectors are paying, you know, these really, really high prices for his work. And that's why so many art critics acclaim his work so highly. So, you know, like, for example, um, and I don't know whether this is going to be a, a good example or not, but to just give all the people out there a better understanding of what I'm talking about here. For example, if you watch a match of cricket mm. on television, that's one thing. If you go to the actual ground and see them <laughs> hit sixers... You finally understand why it's so difficult to hit a sixer. The, 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 the boundary is just so far away, mm. right? And I guess you can make, say the same thing about baseball, to, to hit a home run in baseball, because they look tiny, the players, in this you know really, really immense field. So that's the kind of situation we're talking about here, right? Everything looks, it, it, you know, the true value comes when you actually experience all this in the flesh, right? And when it, you think about someone like Mark Rothko, you go once again, you go to the gallery and you just feel this gravitational field, right? It just pulls you in. And I can confidently say the exact same thing about Chanongun. If you have a soul and sight, you will vividly feel them getting pulled into the canvases hanging on the gallery's wall. Right. So Rothko, I think it's a great reference point, I guess, mm-hmm. to understand uh, Chan's work for... Uh, any listeners who might not know uh, Chun's work, but he has a style quite his own as well, right? That's right. And in terms of style, um, uh, Chan Ongun is widely considered an abstract minimalist painter. Now, let's think about that for a second. The combination of abstraction and minimalism, that means less detail in both meaning and form. However, this does not automatically entail less inspiration. You know, just like in a more representative style of visual art, like Da Vinci's Mona Lisa or the landscape photography of National Geographic, artistic skill plays a crucial role in abstract painting and minimalist painting as well. The more sophisticated the skill, the more vivid the thrill. And that is the magic, marvel, and mystery of the paintings of Chanangun. Okay, so uh, as we said, when we look at Rothko's work or uh, Chalongan's work, uh, we might uh, appreciate the beauty, aesthetic beauty, but we might be curious about what's more uh, beyond just the surface level of what we see. So can you tell us about perhaps the subject matter of his works? What inspires his paintings, do we know? Absolutely. So uh, regarding the abstract and minimalist style of Chanangun, it's rather challenging to make a clear-cut, concrete argument on the subject matter. Although, and you know what, perhaps students of the natural scientists may think differently. Like, for example, if you're a physicist, oh, that painting, that's a spectrum. Oh, I'm a mathematician. I see geometry right there. And then, oh, I'm a meteorologist, and that has to be an aurora, Mm. so on and so forth. However, more generally speaking, and this is what Chanungan said himself, uh, let's not forget, again, uh, he was born here in Seoul. He spent uh, the first 20 years of his life here in Seoul, and he, of course, attended uh, one of the most prestigious art art schools here in Korea, uh, uh, Chuge uh, Art School. 
And, you know, the reason why I'm saying this now, he's living in uh, Germany for 20 plus years. Uh, He said himself that he really, really ponders the idea of himself being an Oriental person, but now pursuing a life in the Occident, Mm. right? And if you think about his art, it makes perfect sense because his practice of art is very, very meditational. And um, it's like the art of slow and steady and patience and prudence in our time, that is, Mm. right? So I think that has really, really, a, a really, really important significance. You know, it's like the the art of patience in a hyperspeed era of information and technology. And it, this reminds me of that Korean saying that goes, "Papersrok toragara," which mm. means, "The busier you are, please take your time." It's an irony, but it makes perfect sense, mm. right? And then you think about the life here in Seoul, right? His hometown. The irony of Seoul. What is it? It's the coexistence of the world's most cutting-edge high-speed technology and traditional Oriental values, mm, right? So that right. irony, that that paradox is kind of, I, I think, inspired him to come up with this particular style and subject matter of painting. Another thing that we must have to talk about when it comes to the subject matter of Chanungun is how he controls and commands his colors. It's all about the true colors. He only uses mainly four colors, which are red, yellow, blue, and green. And if you think about green, green is a combination of a yellow and blue anyways, right? So he uses uh, the, all these variations of those four basic colors. And in my in my opinion, when you think about the, the philosophical background behind his craft, it's as if he's trying to discuss the very essence of one's identity through these essential colors, right? If you think about it, because like philosophically speaking, here in Oriental philosophy, we have so many discourse on what is the essence of life and human identity. In the West, of course, there's Spinoza, right? You have all these different variations that you see and are tangible, but what are the intangibles? What are the what is the very essence of being? So all that together makes the craft and subject matter of this wonderful artist. Right, so it might be difficult to exactly pin down a subject mm-hmm. matter, but it's about, I guess, the tensions uh, between the different uh, ideas that you've talked about. Interestingly, though, the title of his latest exhibition in Seoul perhaps gives us an interesting clue as well, right? That's right. The title is Why We Need to Learn the Language of Plants. <laughs> now, the venue is the Choi and Choi Gallery. They have two galleries, uh, one in Germany in Cologne and the other one here in Seoul. We're talking about the uh, one in Seoul today. Uh, this show run, runs through the 24th. For more information, please visit choiandchoi.com. And to revisit that title just one more time, Why We Need to Learn the Language of Plants. This is based on how Plants inspire Chonongun, especially the way they express themselves, right? They don't express themselves like, say, politicians when it comes to election time, right? It's not like a political campaign in a very, very subtle yet sound and solid way, which I think goes extremely well with the governing idea and spirit of Chonongun. Yes, the pieces are certainly very arresting. And as you said, I think uh, they would have to be seen in person to really feel 
the impact, the full impact mm-hmm. uh, as well. Our listeners, in the meantime, should go check out our Instagram at kbs underscore career24 uh, to see the work for themselves, uh, as well as more information about the exhibition. Yes, it'll be quite enlightening, I think, for our listeners who've been listening to this segment today. In the meantime, that's where we have to leave it for Explore Career. Jail, thank you for that recommendation once again, and we'll see you again next time. Great. And we wrap up our show there. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Tune in to Wonder Hours with Hedim and join the K-pop star for two wondrous hours every weekday. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jung-woo helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea, keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook Once Upon a Time in Korea. And if you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday and Friday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in! KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in case of high levels of fine dust. Before going outside, check the air quality by visiting online resources or checking your local weather forecast. When the level of fine dust is high, avoid outdoor activities such as hiking, biking or field sports. Wear protective gear such as masks, glasses and hats. Close your windows, doors and dry your laundry inside. Wash your face often and make sure to also blow your nose regularly. If you have to leave your home, try to use public transportation in order to reduce air pollution. Take a shower after returning home to avoid skin irritation and rinse your sinuses if possible. Before preparing food, wash your hands and make sure to wash fruit and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures.
KBS World Radio.